someone tried to generate debate or generate distraction or generate diversion like that, does that happen in your life? Happens in my life all the time. When that happened in the life of Christ, how did Jesus respond? When someone tried to throw in distraction, when someone tried to throw in diversion, someone tried to throw in debate, how did Jesus respond? We've kind of seen that over the last several, several sermons, but I want to really focus on that today. And open your Bibles, if you would, to Mark chapter 3. We've worked our way all the way through the gospel according to Mark, to Mark chapter 3 and verse 7. We're going to start in verse 7 and move on from there all the way down to verse 12. And we're going to see in response to the distractions, in response to all the debate, in response to all the division that the people were trying to cause around Jesus, this is what he did. Beginning in verse number 7, chapter 3, book of Mark, here we go. You read along as I read aloud. And Jesus withdrew to the sea with his disciples, and a great multitude from Galilee followed, and also from Judea, and from Jerusalem, and from Idumea, and beyond the Jordan, and the vicinity of Tyre and Sidon. A great multitude heard of all that he was doing, and came to him. And he told his disciples that a boat should stand ready for him because of the multitude, in order that they might not crowd him. The translation says, crush him. For he had healed many with the result that all those who had afflictions pressed about him in order to touch him, and whenever the unclean spirits beheld him, they would fall down before him and cry out, saying, You are the Son of God. And he earnestly warned them not to make him known. Now, just to bring us up to date, all of chapter 2 and all the way up to this point in Mark chapter 3, we've seen Jesus every move being critiqued. I mean, they were on him like stink on a skunk. They wanted to get a, a look at him. They, every action was being criticized. Every move was being examined. Back at the beginning of chapter 2, if you remember, it was the, 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 the event there where the man was let down through the roof. And verse 5 of chapter 2 reminds us that when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the man with the, 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 he said to the paralytic son, your sins are forgiven you. I mean, that one line set off a firestorm of debate. How could anybody besides God forgive sin? And the debate was, was on. Well, then next in the line there, we see Jesus call the tax collector, Levi, who we know better as Matthew. And then the Lord went to eat at the house of the tax collector. Now imagine that. You talk about a great cause of diversion. Uh, he went to eat where? He went to eat with the sinners? And they just, it was, it was on. The next thing we see there is the question of religious activity, a question about fasting and self-denial. And there was a tremendous distraction because Jesus wasn't fasting the way they thought he should. Why don't you keep the traditional feast? How come? And they were finding fault with him. How come you do, don't do what all the good people do? That's what they really wanted to know. Now, now we're... Then came the day when Jesus and his disciples were going through the grain field. You remember that day? They were going through the grain fields, and his disciples began to have a snack by picking heads of grain and, 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 and eating them. And, and the division really began right there. When it wasn't just distraction, it wasn't just debate anymore, now it's genuine division. Because would you let your disciples break the Sabbath? you got to do it with the, the eyebrows. You understand? It's got something to do. They were really angry now. They were really beginning to see a fault. They were really, really beginning to see something they thought they could accuse him of. And just last week, we saw that very argument continue right into the local synagogue. I mean, they took their argument to church, y'all. They took it right into the local synagogue when Jesus encountered the man with the withered hand and healed him right smack dab on the Sabbath. 
And so there was this great disturbance that had become now genuine condemnation because this Jesus, he disregards the Sabbath. Let's get him. And so they were out to get Christ. And so now as we begin today, we see how Jesus responds to all these distractions, how he deals with this disturbance. How does this debate and division change the ministry of Jesus? And the answer is, not much. Because he wasn't going to look at them and allow them to be forming his ministry or forming his way of doing things we see there in chapter 3 verse 7 jesus withdrew to the sea now was he running away no he was leaving behind all the yapping critics he didn't run off to the sea to go lick his wounds and try to get away where hide out he went out from that synagogue he wanted to get out where the people were he wanted to get out where he could minister to the actual people that were in need He left behind the distraction and the division of religious debate to get back to the important work of actual ministry. Don't be surprised, by the way, when the debate starts, okay? When the division or the distraction seems to happen, be aware and expect questions because this may not be in the Bible, but it works in my life. Where two or three are gathered together, there will be debate. Where two or three are gathered together, there will be distraction. Where two or three are gathered together, there will be some kind of division because we'll have two different opinions. And that's a good thing in some ways because if we all shared the same opinion, some of us are unnecessary. But he let none of that debate, none of that distraction, none of that division, none of that denial, he let none of that derail his ministry. His intention was to get on with the mission because Jesus came for a reason. Jesus came to get God's word and God's love to the people that God sent Jesus to redeem. That was what his entire ministry was about. Now, he went down to the sea. We don't know how long this actually went on. We don't know from this scripture anyway. But it was long enough that some of these folks came from a great distance. Let's look again at verse 7. He withdrew to the sea with his disciples, and a great multitude from Galilee followed, and then also from Judea. Let's keep looking at that. It says there in verse 8, from Jerusalem, from Idumea, and beyond the Jordan, the vicinity of Tyre and Sidon, a great multitude. This geographical list that we see here, it was from the far north in Tyre and Sidon, because if you look at, your, if, at the very last book of your Bible, it's probably the book of maps. <laughs> I mean, it's not a book, but it's back there. It's almost usually at the very back of the Bible. And you'll see Tyre and Sidon way up north on your map. Idumea was the place way down south. If you look at uh, the, uh, the, the regions beyond the Jordan, that would have been way out to the east. And all the way to the west is Judea, all the way to the sea, the sea of the Mediterranean Sea. And so here they are, all of these different geographical areas. You have rich areas, you have poor areas, you have well-educated areas and what we would think of as uneducated areas, the Gentile regions, even to the very hotbed of religious fundamentalism there in Jerusalem. They came from all over. And if, when you look at it on a map and you see, if you look at it on a big map, you see that's a seemingly kind of a small area. It's like 150 miles wide and maybe 200 miles long at the very most. That doesn't seem like a very big area. But when you begin to think, the way that all of these people heard was word of mouth. The way that everybody had heard anything about Jesus was somebody actually came and told them. They didn't have billboards, they didn't have newspapers, they didn't have newsletters, they didn't have telephones, they didn't have any of the things that we enjoy today to get the message out. Without Facebook or any of the things we have that we can share our messages with, these people came from all over to hear a preacher That's just, in our day and age, that's amazing because they made the decision, a personal decision to travel, sometimes days and even weeks, 
to go somewhere just to hear what Jesus had to say. Well, they had heard about his miracles. It says there in verse number 8, so a great number of people heard of all that he was doing and came to him. They heard about his miracles. They heard about his teaching. They heard about all that he was, he was healing and the way he broke accepted traditions. And so they saw how he had actually left the, the organization. In a sense, he'd left it behind, but he left came out of the organizational way of doing things and had come right down to the people. Instead of demanding that they come to God through some kind of an established religious, hey, you've got to come this way, this step, this step, this, he went right to them and said, I'll come to you. Friend, I think in our world today, people are waiting for Christians to say, I'll come to you. I'll leave behind all the requirements and rules and, 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 and religion, and I'll come right to you. That's what Jesus did. He came to the people, establishing uh, a new line that was outside of what we would think of as the mainline denomination of that day. And it, it was a great multitude. Maybe some of them came just for the show, for the novelty of the new. That happens sometimes. But to travel that distance on those ancient roads, I mean, the, like I said, days, perhaps weeks of travel, there had to be more than just a passing interest. You see, in that day, there was a hunger for truth. They wanted some truth that they could get their teeth into, not some truth that had been shrouded in tradition and ceremony so bad that you had to wait for six or eight months before you figured it out. They wanted truth they could get today. There was that hunger, and Jesus was going to address that hunger. But there was also a hunger for God. They, people wanted to, to get to God. They wanted, they wanted to find the God who wasn't hidden by ritual and rules and religions because, you see... God put inside each one of us a hunger for relationship with the Creator. God built that into you. God built that into me. A desire to return to the one who made us. That desire was planted in all men of all ages. That is why we end up worshiping something. If you don't worship God, you'll end up worshiping something else. And that is because that's the way God hardwired us. We cannot let that desire go unfulfilled. We will worship something somebody but anything else you worship besides almighty god is going to leave you empty and dry that desire that desire can only be fulfilled that place in your heart that god put there can only truly be filled by the god who made us so jesus there in verse seven again he leaves behind the naysayer he goes back to the people but before you get the idea that jesus had his head up in the cloud is only thinking about church notice the next verse this is one of my favorite verses in the bible verse nine it says, and he told his disciples that a boat should stand ready for him because of the multitude in order that they should not crowd him. I mean, he's down there by the sea. And the way a preacher would do it in that day, if they wanted to be, get a big crowd, they'd get close to water, like a, a pond or, or, or a lake. They'd get close to water, and then there would be this long, sloping hillside. And if you're on the bottom of that sloping hillside, it becomes a natural amphitheater. I went to Israel about 1997, and I actually got to be on the Mount of the Beatitudes. And there's this long sloping hill going right down into the water. And at the top of the hill, you could speak and your voice just went away. But they had me walk down. I was the youngest one in the group. So they made me walk down to the bottom of the hill. I'm thinking all the way down, this is cool. I'm in Israel. I'm climbing down a hill. I forgot about climbing back up. But I get to the bottom of the hill and I look up and there's all these people that are half a mile up there. And they had instructed me, when you go down there, start singing. So I went down there and I started singing Amazing Grace and those people way up at the end of that hill were hearing me sing like I was right close to them. So Jesus would have gone to the edge of the water to speak up to the people on the mountainside and, and there he was at the water. He's thinking, if they keep crowding me, I'm going in the water. So he said, hey, let's get a little boat fixed 
up. Let's get a little boat ready because I don't want to get wet. Or maybe he just, as he said there, he didn't want them to crowd him or crush him, as I say in another... In any group, some time must be spent on what we think of as logistical concerns, the stuff that has to get done for ministry. In any group, in any gathering, there's got to be some thought given to the place of the gathering, like we're gathered in this place. Some attention's got to be given to the needs of the group, whether there's going to be a bathroom, whether there's going to be water available. Some planning has to be made for the requirements, both of the leaders and of the group. You know, these lights don't come on all by themselves. Somebody had to turn them on. The air conditioners don't come on all by themselves. The bills don't get paid all by themselves. They all have to have some prior thought, some preparation. All that stuff has to be done. Now, not all of the ministry, we think of ministry, not all of ministry happens from this platform. Not all of ministry is the actual few minutes, minutes of a ministry meeting. Time's got to be spent preparing and setting up. Then there's going to be time cleaning up. Jesus knew that, and in his own ministry, we see that he was taking care of that. Hey, that's still the truth today, too. Time has to be spent. Jesus takes time and attention to foresee and address logistical concerns. And if God has called you to the ministry of helps, where you're the one that's taking care of those things, those things that we think about as, well, that's just on the side. No, you are every bit as much in the ministry for the kingdom of God as that guy who's preaching the message because God has called you to do something that will make it all work. You are is responsible to him as the missionary or the pastor, and you have, you're no less a minister than that preacher or that missionary. And, and by the way, just like the missionary or the pastor could, could really kind of let down the kingdom by not doing their part, let's say a preacher comes to work on Sunday morning and he's not ready to preach, that would be kind of letting down the church, letting down the Lord, letting down the kingdom. Well, the person that's in charge of those logistical needs of the church or of a ministry, they can make life very difficult too, not coming and doing their part. The ministry of helps, the ministry of administration, they are ministries. They're not afterthoughts. They're not stuff we just kind of, well, we'll find somebody. No, that is a call from God, and when he allows you to do that, by the way, as a church, we need to treat those people with extra honor. We need to pre treat those people with extra respect, those workers in a church or ministry with double honor since they're serving the Lord by caring for our needs. And I'm talking about the nursery workers. I'm talking about the youth workers. I'm talking about the cleaning crew, the mowing crew, the preaching crew, the teaching crew, all of them part of that picture that God has here. Jesus had them prepare a boat so that he could teach without getting crowded into the water. He used that technique several other times in scripture. We'll see it even in chapter 4 of this book. Because as verse 10 reveals to us, they were all crowding down there. The ones that had come a long ways to get healed, they were not about to give this, hey, we'll just wait our turn. No, they were crowding up. They had, they had crowded up to the front. They were demanding his attention. And you know, that actually became a problem for the Lord later on where he, he didn't get time to eat even because people were demanding ministry. Uh, Jesus came to the people to get to the people to get to the ministry, but the miracles and the signs were, were not the only ministry Jesus came for. In fact, they were just a very small portion of the ministry he intended to perform. Healing the sick, taking care of the infirm, delivering those afflicted by the devil, even the demon-possessed, that was a small part of what Jesus intended to do. Jesus' mission was to get the word of God to the people so that God would see men and women, boys and girls, find out that God loved them and that they could come to that God who loved them. Well, by this reading here, we see that Jesus got so, so busy with ministry, he barely even had time to teach. In fact, there's no mention of teaching or preaching in these verses that I just read. Now we know that's what he was doing, but isn't it funny how when we, when we tell somebody about something that happened, it, you go down and let's say you went to work, and the only thing you can remember is one thing that happened. 
The oohs and the ahs factor. You know, something went, ooh, that happened to you? You almost hit somebody in my mail truck the other. Ooh, or somebody almost hit my mail truck. Wow. You know, that's what you tell people. You don't tell them about the eight hours of drudgery just throwing the mail in the box. Because that's all, you know, it just happened. The same thing happens with ministry. You only talk about the invitation or you only talk about the big things that happen. Well, that's the same thing with the ministry of Jesus. But Jesus came to preach the good news. To share and model the heart of a loving father. And, 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 and to, to tell people that the way back to that father is opening. The Lamb of God is now being examined. This Lamb of God who was slain from the foundation of the world is here. And he is about to have that covenant blood shed once and forever at the cross. That's about to happen. All this went on. All this was, was Jesus' focus. This, this getting out with the people. That's what Jesus wanted to do in the middle of all the noise and the indifference of the critics. And it goes right on to tell us about how he had healed many with the result that the afflictions pressed about him. And then even the ones who were demon-possessed were, were, were being healed and being taken care of. And without going into all that again, because we've seen that before, what is the message? What is it that we're supposed to glean from this passage? I mean, the question really for us is, does the mission continue? If Jesus took his ministry and said, I don't care what the critic says, I'm going to continue with the ministry. My question for us today is, do we do the same thing? Does the mission continue? I mean, are we focused on the needs, that is, I say, the lostness of people around us? Or have we been caught by the distractions and the diversions of the day in which we live? I mean, instead of going to, to class, we're over playing a game, or we have something that we think is so much more important than going to church. There are things that happen. Listen, we face opposition in this world. Well, Jesus faced opposition. How did Jesus react to opposition? Well, Jesus had those who came to every meeting he had after this to denounce him, to deny him, to, 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 to just get in his face. See, what they, they did, they came to him literally thinking, that they were doing God a favor. They thought that they were there to, to bring uh, doctrinal purity back to the, to the meeting. They had come to do God a favor. They were defending the faith, pointing out error. And there are some people today who oppose the word of God for that very reason, because they think they're doing God a favor. But in the face of that opposition, the mission must continue. Again, I say for Jesus, his mission were the people, the people he came to redeem. Because those people were too precious to stop and try to deal with every little single objection. There were all these loaded questions coming at Christ. And he was smart enough, wise enough, godly enough to instead of getting caught up in that religious debate, he said, I'm, I'm going to go on and do what God called me to do. In our day, I can say the same thing. The gospel is too wonderful, and people's hearts, the, the souls of people are too precious for us to stop and deal with every recalcitrant child who comes up with some question or somebody who gets a Senate seat and demands attention. Moving right along. The mission must continue. You see, not only did Jesus face opposition, but he actually faced a, 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 an organized plotting enemy. We face that same thing today, an organized plotting enemy. Now, maybe they don't have these meetings in back rooms. Maybe they don't have phone calls where they arrange their little, their little attack plan and coordinate it, but they all have one goal. You see, the goal in Jesus' day was to somehow trap him. Somehow trap him in something that he said or trap him in something that he did. They wanted to stop him in any way they could because if they could trap him in a mistake 
well, then they'd have something to accuse him of. They'd have something to, to marginalize him. They could just say, well, we can just, we can just put him on one side. He's just another preacher up there. He's not really doing what we think he's doing. They could trap him in some debate of the finer points of doctrine. You see, it doesn't matter how they stopped him. They didn't care how they stopped him as long as they got him stopped. And if they could trap him answering all these questions, then they knew that he he wouldn't get to do any more preaching. He'd be too busy answering all the little questions. It didn't matter how they silenced and stalled his ministry as long as they silenced and stalled his ministry. That's the whole point. They tried to do everything they could to derail the ministry of Jesus. They had that one goal. What critics want to do, and they did it in that day, they do it in this day. A critic is somebody who wants to control and influence the ones they criticize. You see, a theater critic, they're wanting to control and influence the theater. You see a, a, a band critic, somebody who's a music critic. They want to control and influence the musicians. And they do in some ways. Well, that's what these critics wanted to do. They wanted Jesus to stop and, and pay attention to them and fix whatever it was they thought he ought to fix before he did anything else. These Pharisees wanted Jesus to listen and respond to them because, you see, if you stop and respond to the critic, guess who's now in control of your life? The critic if you stop and, and answer every question, you're actually leaving behind your mission and dealing with their mission. Their mission is to stop you. Our critics today want the same thing. They want us constantly answering their charges. They want us constantly denying their criticisms so that we're making no progress. They don't mind if we stay inside our little stained glass prisons. They don't mind as long as we stay in here and keep our message among ourselves. They don't even really care as long as we don't go out there and influence culture where they rule. But in the face of all of that, the mission must never waver. You see, Jesus also faced cultural denial. And what I mean by that is we, we face the same thing. When Jesus came preaching, it was understood that you get to God by doing. You don't understand. Nobody comes to God unless they do X, Y, and Z. In fact, we'll start at A and go A, B all the way to Z and then get to double A and double B. There was all these do's to get to God. And that was the accepted and understood norm of the first century. The entire culture knew you had to do to get to God. And when you do enough in the right way and at the right time, then you might maybe earn God's favor. But probably still find two or three more things you have to do. Jesus' words to that culture, Jesus' words to our world are not do. Jesus' words to our world are done. He has finished the work. When he spread his arms wide on Mount Calvary there on that cross and said, it is finished, he was saying to Telestai, it is finished, it's done. The work is finished. The price has been paid. This word, the world we live in, totally rejects the simplicity of the gospel. We've, we're hardwired to find the thing I have to do to somehow gain God's favor. Favor, As we're studying down here in Sunday school, that's all wrong. We don't have to work to gain God's favor. We've already got God's favor, and because I've got God's favor, I can work and do amazing things for the Lord because He's actually doing it for me. We already have God's favor. Cannot work to gain the approval of God, and nothing I can do will lose me the approval of God. The world and its religion says, Do! God, by Jesus and his love, says done. Jesus even faced some wildly successful times. I mean, you talk about crowds. He had crowds, I mean, huge groups, so great that it was causing the Pharisees to be jealous that so many were coming to hear from Jesus. But Jesus never wavered from the mission. 
He knew that what he was there for was to see God's love taught, God's love modeled, and then for him to pay that price there on the cross and to be laid in a tomb because he was dead. And then on the third day to rise up from the dead in triumph over my sin, in triumph over your sin, breaking apart the power of the grave, triumphing over hell and death, shattering the power of the grave. So let me ask you one thing in closing. This crowd here, actually a couple of things, this crowd here in chapter 3 gathered because of word of mouth. Now I know I'm going to step on a toe or two, but just get ready and prepare your toes because it's on my toes too. They came because of word of mouth. How long has it been since someone heard from you? I'm talking about just one thing that God has done for you. The mercies of God, the love of God, the gift of God, the beauty of God. I mean, you look at the back, get on your back porch and look at the, the sunrise or the sunset. God did, how long has it been since you just gave God glory like that? And somebody else, hey, hey, let me tell you what's happening in my life. God just taught me this. Let me tell you what's happening down at my church. God just did this. We just had baptism. We just had this. We had that. I mean, letting the hearer know that God's love for you is also available for them. When was the last time someone heard from you? If the world was dependent on word of mouth today the way it was in Jesus' day, how many people would be hearing from you? Secondly, what distracts you? What is it in this world that derails you? What disturbs you so much? What seems to deny you God's intimacy and God's presence and God's power? I mean, I have to ask myself that same question. What is it that is diverting me from the completion of my mission? Now, don't say it's mowing the grass because everybody's got to mow the grass. Don't say it's going to work because everybody has to work. Don't say it's, it's you know, different things in life that we all have to do. What is it that diverts you, distracts you, and disturbs you in such a, um, an amount, carries such weight that it diverts you from the completion of your mission? Because here was Jesus while the vocal, vociferous critic clamored and cried for answers, Jesus went right on ministering to the multitude. And the mission must continue right here at First Baptist Church, Cole. Because what God is looking for with us, through us, and in us is the lost to be saved. And for that to happen, we're going to have to go out there where the sinners are. Not only is he looking, though, for the lost to be saved, he's looking for genuine disciples who are producing genuine fruit. That can happen here. That can happen out there. It happens because He's alive and real in our hearts. He's looking for uh, genuine believers who mature and grow up and then actually begin to display the likeness of Christ. To walk without fear because the only one I fear is the one who created me. Jesus kept right on with His mission. The mission continued. Will it continue through us? Let's pray. (music) 